Great to be here this morning. Uh, in February, we did a Reader's Theater on the sovereignty of God, his complete power over all of creation, both now and forever. We saw stories of how he made the sun stand still and how Elijah the prophet was in the Mount of Carmel and poured buckets and buckets of water on the, the offering and God rained down fire and consumed everything. And stories of him raising the dead and many others. Um, but that might have left you realizing how great and mighty God is, but not necessarily connecting it to you personally. Um, well, today is all about how his great power is personal and intimate to each of us. Um, in Psalm 139, where we're going to be spending our time today, we have King David's prayer and that describes how intimate God was with him. And by studying this song, I hope that each of us gain a glimpse of how intimate he is with each one of us. Uh, in this psalm, we see the omni-attributes of God. Uh, these are the, big, the bigness attributes of God. Uh, there's sort of fancy words for um, things like, well, omnipresent means he's completely present and present everywhere at once. Uh, omniscient, he's all-knowing. There's nothing he does not know. And omnipotence, God is all-powerful. His power has no limit. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite because it takes that bigness of God and makes it very personal. Uh, only a big God uh, could know everything about you and not only know about you, but really know you personally. And to be involved in every moment of your life, how big is God? So big that he's intimate with each of us. Uh, in this psalm, David talks about those big attributes of God in the context of his personal relationship with him. I'm going to touch on the whole chapter, but by no means cover the depth of it. Uh, and in preparing for this, I discovered that Alistair Begg, a well-known preacher, uh, pastor, had recently spent four weeks uh, doing this, this uh, sermons on this psalm. And I encourage you to look him up, Alistair Begg, and get more than I can give you today. I'm going to read the whole psalm right now. But before I do, in fact, if you have your, your copy of the scriptures, I would encourage you to um, turn to that and follow along today. But before I do, I want us to think about our question today. How does God's bigness touch my heart, my mind, my circumstances, my responses? How does who God is touch my faith, my faith in him, and therefore my love for him? Verse, uh, I'll give you a little outline. Verse 1 through 6 is, God, you know me. Uh, 7 through 12 is God, you are with me. 13 through 18 is God, you made me. And verse 19 through 24 is God, you test me and lead me. So Psalm 139, let's follow along and read it together. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, and the light will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book they were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I were to count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who you hate, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Search me, O God. Know my heart. And try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Thank you, Ted. Okay, well, let's go back to the, to the top, to page, I mean, to uh, verse 1 through 6. God, you know me. Verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. David says that God examined him and knows him. But notice David doesn't say God knows about him. He says, you know me, me. See how personal that is. Um, and I hope when we're finished that it will be very personal for all of us today. And then, for example, verse 2, he says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. God knows everything that we do. But not only, not only what we do, but check out the second verse. You discern my thoughts from afar. Not only does he know what you're doing, he knows what you're thinking. Um, and he does not just say that you know my thoughts. He says he discerns them. He understands your thoughts better than we understand them ourselves. He continues, verse 3, You search my path and my lying down and are acquainted with my ways. God knows our habits. He knows the paths I take. He knows the kind of person I am inside and why I do what I do. See how his hugeness gives him the ability to be personal and intimate with us inside and out? So not only does he uh, know our actions, the things that we can see, he knows your thoughts. As he continues in verse 4, he says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He knows what you're thinking, and he knows what the, the words are going to come out of your mouth before you do. In fact, wouldn't it be great if we knew the words that came out before, before he, we did? I know I do. Verse 5, he says, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. God's intimate and complete knowledge of us um, gives him the ability to protect us as well. 
this is not so much limiting our movements when it says he hems us in, but it's protecting us in every way. Um, if you've been a parent or a grandparent who had a child that's recently learning to walk, you know how I picture this hemming in behind and before. They, they start to walk someplace that's dangerous and you, you put your hand out and you hem them in and behind and before. And, and if they go to bonk their head or fall, you, you put your hand on them. God does that with us. His understanding comes with his protection. And David wraps up this section with the reaction that we should all have. This, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. We can't comprehend the greatness of his knowledge for us. We can't grab a hold of that, his understanding of us, and down to even our very thoughts. Well, God has given us some specifics. Can you think of one? It says he knows every hair on our head, Luke 12. How big is God? So big that not only does he know what I'm doing and thinking, he knows, that he knows what everyone is doing and thinking. They estimated, I think last year they said that we passed, the earth passed the uh, population of 8 billion. Uh, I can't really comprehend 8 billion. I don't know about you. But God is also not bound by time. So he knows everyone all the time from all times now and in the future. He knows everyone, not just us. So what do we do with this? How might we respond to the knowledge that God knows everything about us and knows us down to our thoughts and the intentions of our heart? What do we do with that? Well, one response might be, oh no, I'm in big trouble. And in a way, that's the right response because nothing is hidden from him. So if your thoughts are full of sin, it's no secret to him. Uh, and we've learned what? That the penalty of sin is death. But we've also learned the next big truth, and that is that the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the better we know him, the more we understand his love and mercy. We come to know that he paid the price for our sin and invites us into right relationship with him. So if your response today is, oh no, I do encourage you to call out to him. Receive that forgiveness that he paid for. Then as his forgiven children, how do we respond to the growing understanding that he knows everything, including us? How do we respond to that? Well, imagine a human relationship where someone knew us perfectly and yet loved us completely. Imagine never being misunderstood, um, always loved in the best way according to our real needs, always knows how to encourage us, how to challenge us, and how to comfort us. Well, God's understanding of you is so much better than any human, human being could ever be. God never makes a mistake in our lives. We have that assurance that before we can even express our need, he already knows it better than we know ourselves and knows exactly what is best. That also means that if a, if a terrible hardship is what is best for us, he has the perfect plan. Let me say that again. That means if a terrible hardship is his best plan for us, we know that that's a perfect plan. We've been studying through the, the minor prophets. Think of Hosea's unfaithful wife. Think of Job's pain and loss. Think of your deepest trial. We know that God knows exactly what we need 
and that we're in his hand. When you're confused, remind yourself that he is not confused. In fact, he knows you perfectly and knows everything that affects your situation. When we have misunderstandings, remember that his understanding of the details and realities of your situation have not escaped him. And you can go to him for the wisdom that he promised to give you. And you know his wisdom comes from the perfect knowledge of who you are and who everyone else is and what, everything is, what is happening with everyone. His promises tell us that when we do that, when we remember him and trust him, we will be given patience, love, peace, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, to replace the wrong thinking of our flesh with the right thinking of the Spirit of God. His bigness, in this case his omniscience, his understanding of us, his all-knowingness, touches us down to our smallest details. Because he knows you completely, we can trust him completely, right? Now, not only does he know us completely, verse 7 starts the session, he never leaves us. And we can't leave him. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your presence? Now, there may be those who want to get away from God, like, like Jonah tried. But we all know how that ended, right? There is nowhere that we can go that he is not. But you can tell that David is not trying to get away from God. Uh, he's taking, he's uh, asking if there's anywhere that he could go where God would not be with him. And the answer is no. There is nowhere that you can go that God is not with you. For example, verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So as high as we could go or as, as low as we could go, God, you are there. Verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. <laughs> um, you think about it, in the morning, the morning is where? It's in the east. And for David and for us, the sea is in the west. If we were to go to the uttermost parts of the west or the east, those unknown places, God, you are there. In verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Not only is he with us, but he holds us and he leads us. Verse 5 already said, you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. God being with us comes with his care, his protection, his direction. When we are little and we walk into a place that's unfamiliar or someplace that's scary, what do we want? We just want our mom or our dad to hold our hand tightly, right? To lead us through. Well, not only is he with us, he holds us in his hand. When we are moving into those unknown places, those dark and scary places in our life, we are safe. We're safe as we ever could be because he is there with us and he's holding our hand. When my daughter and her family were serving as missionaries in Guinea, West Africa, they lived in the capital city. And that's where the military started a coup. Civilians were being abused and killed all around them. And as white missionaries, white you know, Westerners, they were in very serious danger. We thought, how in the world are they going to stay safe? But after we thought about that, we realized, wait a minute, we need to remind ourselves of what is true. What's true? God is with them. 
And we, that didn't mean that nothing would happen to them, no, no harm would come to them. But it meant that he, they were in his hands and that was the safest place for them to be. And we knew that he had a perfect plan and he would fulfill it. Thankfully, they did get out unharmed. But if they hadn't, we knew that his plan was being fulfilled. His, his presence and his power were our comfort in that situation. Okay, well, what about the darkness? Verse 11 says, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light, be, uh, light about me be night. Can, God, can darkness hide us from God? Sometimes it might feel that way. When we're surrounded by darkness, he can seem like maybe he's lost sight of us. But what is true? Where is God when we are in the darkness? Verse 12 says, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For us, darkness blinds us. In fact, we might lose a loved one in the darkness, right? But God is with us, and he sees us. I'm still afraid of the dark today, and I, I think that's a good thing, right? Have you ever stepped on something in the dark or banged right into something because you didn't turn the, the light on in your own house? When we are in physical darkness or surrounded by spiritual darkness, it's not dark to God. He is with us. He is omniscient and he's omnipresent. He knows us perfectly and he never leaves us. So how does God's bigness touch even the tiniest parts of our lives? How does his sovereignty, his power, his knowledge and presence change our daily experience? That's the question today. Well, what do you fear? Is it possible that if you remind yourself of his understanding and presence that he will take away the fear and replace it with peace, joy, love? I was planning on filling in for Matt back in February and was preparing this message. Well, on Tuesday, Tammy got sick and on Wednesday, I wasn't feeling so great. And um, I started to think, oh no, what if I can't? fill in. I already knew that Matt and Walter were going to be up at uh, camp and they weren't available. And Matt had sort of asked everybody else and I was kind of the last resort. Well, just after a few moments of thinking wrong, uh, I reminded myself of what I knew. Uh, that God knows every cell in my body. He planned that week before time began um, and he would provide if I couldn't fill in. So because I remembered that, I received the peace that God promised as I focused on God in my circumstances. Well, it turns out that God wanted Dr. Beely to speak that week. So he knows you completely and he's always with you. Verse 13 through 18, he made you. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. From the very beginning, God was active in personally making us in our mother's womb. And look at his response. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. David says, I praise you. And we praise him for making us perfectly. Are you made perfectly? I was born with a defect in my left eye. Well, that's the defect you can see when we talk about the others. Um, but God did not make any mistakes when he made us, did he? He knit us personally together in the womb. 
Why do so many people have doubts and frustration with the way they were made? I think there are many reasons, many lies today in our culture, causing especially young people to question even their very identity. But I think the main reason is because they don't know that God personally chose their makeup, chose where they would be born, whom they would be born to, their strengths and their weaknesses, yes, even their defects. And really, I think they especially don't understand that God made them perfectly for the life he ordained for them. And he did it in their great love for them. Well, we all know about people who are born without all the normal body parts or abilities. And they are often used in amazing ways by God. In fact, we all aren't normal, are we? Many of you know about Nick uh, Vujicic, I think I said his name right. <laughs> he was born with no arms and no legs, and he has an amazing ministry to this day. He knows God made him perfectly for the life and ministry that he planned for him. David continues, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. God is so big that he personally oversaw every cell in your body according to his perfect plan for you. And if that were not amazing enough to realize, before we were created, our entire life was written down. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when, there, when yet there was none of them. It reads a little bit easier in the NIV. It says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Have you ever thought about that? Before we were conceived in the womb, before we took our first breath, before we made any choices, God knew and planned it all. Now, that does not change the fact that we still have to live our life and make those choices, and we live out the consequences of those choices. But to know that God went before us, forming us into the person we are, having the perfect plan for our lives, that should change the way we see our life. That should change how we think about ourselves and our Creator. We are not just victims of a broken world. We are, we are our Heavenly Father's personal creation. David finishes this section with another declaration of how personal God is with us. He says, verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Have you ever considered the fact that God thinks about you? Stop and think about the most important or famous or respected human you could come up with. How amazing would it be if that person thought about you regularly? How precious are your thoughts, O God! He is so big that he's been thinking about us before time began. And he thinks about you all the time. He's not limited to getting around to you once in a while. Look at verse 18. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. Well, I have a funny way of thinking about things, but I'm holding in my hand one cubic inch of sand. And I didn't count the grains, but I'm told that there's about 200,000 grains of sand in there. Now, if you made that a cubic foot, that would be about, um, about 200 million in one cubic foot. In other words, his thoughts about you and your life are countless, without number. Actually, someone tried to number the grains of sand on the earth, and uh, you want to see what they came up with? Seven quintillion 
500 quadrillion, or 7.5 times 10 to the 18th power. In other words, that has 18 zeros. Is there any doubt that God's bigness personally affects your life in a very good way? He thinks about us all the time. And in case we forget, he's not only thinking about us, he's always with you. Verse 18 says, I awake and I'm still with you. What a good way to wake up every day. Remember that God not only made you, but is thinking about you and has planned your day. He laid out the joys and trials perfectly to work his goal of transforming you into his image. That's how he is working all things together for good. This is so key. I want to repeat that. Remember that God not only made you, but is thinking about you and has planned your day. He's laid out the joys and trials perfectly to work his goal of transforming you into his image. And that's how he's working all things together for good, to make you more like him. So he knows you completely. He's always with you. And he personally made you who you are. He is paying attention to you at all times and holds you in his hands. That should change our lives. Well, how does that affect how we think about God? When it feels like he is silent or far away, your feelings are lying to you. When it feels like he is... um, Oh, sorry, yes. Um, Oh, how does that affect how we think about ourselves? Um, If we feel like the victim of bad people or circumstances, that's how we feel our feelings are lying to us, us as well. Because is God not bigger than those things? How should I respond in my daily life? If we understand the truth about God, We can respond to life by the power of the Spirit and not just in the deceitfulness of my flesh, my natural man. Your value is found in the fact that the Almighty God, creator of everything, made you perfectly and not only has a purpose for your life, he planned it all out and wrote it down in a book before it came to be. That should make us feel safe in his hand. Do you think that might help you think correctly when you're tempted to despair or be angry at someone or be afraid of the darkness around you? Do you think that knowing him and his all power, that he's all powerful and knows you better than anyone ever could and still loves you completely might be worth remembering and reminding ourselves of when life is full of chaos and seems out of control? This makes a difference in our daily life. Many of you know the, the story behind the hymn, uh, song, It Is Well. Uh, Horatio Spadford wrote that in the midst of great loss. Uh, he lost his son, his business, and his fortune. And then he lost his daughters at sea, only leaving his wife who survived. He was crossing the ocean to return to his wife. And in that, in that very same place, he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It seems he understood that he could trust his heavenly father in the midst of pain and loss. 
It matters in the small stuff, too. Uh, have you ever been leaving the house at the last minute and you can't find your keys? On Monday mornings, it's my job to open the showroom where I work. Well, recently I'd used up all the margin in my morning and I was ready to leave. And after looking at all the normal places and all the not so normal places, they were nowhere to be found. I got nervous about being late. Thankfully, I recognized that this was God testing my faith and control over my day. I actually asked him to help me find my keys, but I also asked him to help me not to be anxious and to drive in a way that pleased him rather than things that would offend everyone on the road. Guess what? I was late, but I was late with peace and joy. It made a difference to know him. And he's been teaching me to see his bigness in the little things of my day. And I hope that you can start to see him and continue to see him there as well. The last six verses also show us God's personal participation in our lives. He leads us and he tests us. David cries out, Oh, that you would slay the, the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. I don't know about you, but that sometimes feels a little out of place, doesn't it? It's almost like he took his eyes off of this amazing God and turned it towards enemies, and it filled him with hate and, and vengeance. Well, as I said, Alistair Begg did a great job with this, uh, this psalm, and he spent a whole week on this section, and I'm glad he did. Um, <clears throat> and I think he's done a more complete uh, job of explaining this than I could ever do. And I would again encourage you to listen to that series. So I will not repeat everything he said, but I will bring up some of his points. But before I do, let me ask you two questions that I've had to ask myself. First, does God hate anything? His love is everlasting. His mercies never end. But does he hate anything? Well, yes, he does. One of the first passages I memorized when I was in college was Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. And it says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and the one who sows discord among brothers. To know God is to know what he hates. To put it simply, God hates sin. He hates sin because it goes against his goodness, his holiness, his good plan for his creation. He hates evil because it goes uh, he hates evil, but it goes beyond evil in general. He hates the one doing evil. That's a little harder for us to think about. But we see this throughout the Old and New Testament. Look at Psalm 11, 5 through 7. It says, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, and he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall, shall behold his face. 
The reality is that God will do away from, with evil and evildoers. Unless we forget, we are evildoers. And we would rightly be destroyed by him if Jesus had not taken our sin and died in our place. So here's the second question. Do I hate sin? Do I share my father's view of evil? One point that Alistair Begg makes is that in general, we are weak on hating evil, but especially in ourselves. If we understood a little bit of how evil evil is, we would hate it because we would see how it contradicts and fights against God's goodness. Let's observe some things about these verses. First, this is not David turning away from the focus on the God and Father of the first 18 verses. This is David's response to the beauty and goodness of his amazing God being attacked. These are the thoughts of, about those attempting to destroy truth and righteousness. And here David declares his loyalty to his amazing God. Your enemies are my enemies. I hate what you hate. David's not being vengeful. This is a prayer. He's asking God to eliminate evil, to deal with it. Look at the description of the evildoers in, verse, in those verses. 19 says, calls them the wicked, men of blood. Verse 20, those who speak against God with malicious intent. Enemies take his name in vain. Verse 21, those who rise up against God. Scripture has many passages that call for the destruction of evil and evildoers. So how do we reconcile the call to love our enemies with hating those that promote evil? Well, you've heard it said, rightly, that we hate sin and love the sinner. And there's great truth in that statement. Part of the truth is that we are never to be vengeful. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God declares that vengeance belongs to him alone. Uh, quite a few of us are reading through the Bible in a year together. And we've seen da how David, the one writing these verses, was being hunted by King Saul. Saul wanted, was determined to kill David. But while being pursued by Saul and his men, David had many occasions on which he could have killed Saul. But every time that opportunity came up, he said it would be wrong to kill God's anointed. He did not bring vengeance on his enemy. David was a mighty warrior, but it was at God's command and direction that he went out to battle to do God's will in judging the nations and enemies of God. And while we are to love our enemies, don't we yearn for the day when evil and evildoers are finished? But we know that it is God's wrath that will fall on evildoers, not ours. So David is calling to, on God to deal with the wicked, but thankfully he does not stop there. He then submits himself to God's examination of his ways. Verse 23 and 24, these are one of my favorite verses in the whole psalm. 23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me know, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Notice he comes full circle from the beginning where he started. Verse 1 and verse 2, he talks about how God searched me and knows me, uh, and he knows my thoughts. Well, David has the ability to see sin, and that he, he sees his own sin, and he knows that God need, he needs God to help him. So he invites God to test him down to his very thoughts. 
Let me ask you a question. Is it a fearful thing to ask God to search you and know your heart? For him to try you and know your thoughts? To see if there's any grievous way in you? As you digest the truth of this psalm, I hope not only for you not to fear his search of your heart, I hope you will join David in welcoming it. We invite him to search and test us because we know he loves us and wants his best for us. That starts with his forgiveness. Look again at the very last line. The cry of his heart is, lead me in the way everlasting. The reason we want to see our sin is so God can cleanse us and lead us in the everlasting way, the path of everlasting life. First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who better to convict you and encourage you on the right path, the path of his blessing and purpose? Who better to show you your sin than the one who made you and knows you so well, the one who wants you to fulfill your purpose and be fulfilled in this life and eternity, and the one who planned out your life to always be for good and to fulfill your purpose? And what is our purpose? It's to glorify God every day in all that we do. If we don't see our sin, we will continue in it, and we will not fulfill our purpose of glorifying him. So he leads us in the way everlasting. He leads you to have an eternal perspective on your daily life right now. He helps us see who he is and what he's doing in our temporal situation. He leads us in the way we should go. Wouldn't it be great to always know exactly what to do in every situation? Imagine, if you, imagine how you would respond if you knew exactly the right choice to make. I think that would be great. In fact, that's what he is working every day in your life to do, to help you to, to, to see good and evil and to know which way to go. He gives us opportunities every day to make choices and to show our faith, to demonstrate our faith. Unfortunately, we often ignore him in our trials, and we miss the opportunity to see him and trust him. But he wants us to grow in our understanding of how amazing he is and how that changes our thinking and it changes the choices that we make. So David invites God to examine him and lead him into righteousness. And I hope you're encouraged today to do the same thing every day. So how do we take this on the road? How do we take this with us this week? First, uh, I broke the rule. There's not three points, there's four. So you get a bonus one today. How do we take this on the road? First, know him. We have seen uh, how big and intimate God is with us. But God, God has given over a little less than 1,200 more chapters of Revelation to help us know him. If you've not read through the whole Bible, don't wait. Get started now. You'll be blessed. You'll get to know him better and more accurately. Uh, get to know God, get to really know him, and see those accounts that show how he is sovereign, how he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and your Heavenly Father. See how the Holy Spirit um, works in your day every day. If you don't see him there, learn what he is doing because he's active in your life every day. And as you know him better and better, you can, too, trust him better and more and more. 
Um, we were born doing what? Trusting in ourselves. And we're taught to rely on ourselves in life. And that's good when it comes to our personal responsibility. But it becomes a problem when we put trusting in ourselves above trusting in God. You're familiar probably with Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 5 and 6, and I want to add 7. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. But, but be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In the beginning, in the, beginning in the garden, Satan encouraged Eve to do what? To be wise in her own eyes. In other words, to trust her thoughts, or Satan's in that case, instead of God's command. God has the perfect plan for our lives if we would only do what? Trust him. So how can we see if we're trusting him? Number three, follow him. We follow him, we will. That means that our actions demonstrate that we're putting our trust in him, right? Not in our own strength, but in his wisdom. Uh, if God's clearly revealed his will to you, try obeying him. Even if you're a bit afraid, uh, try, try and see what, see what he does. But do make sure that you're um, going by his revealed will because there's lots of cultural ideas about who God is and what he does. So make sure that you're going back to the source and knowing, seeing the truth and follow that. And then four, what he says, not to be anxious, but to pray with thanksgiving. Um, he will give you peace. Try it. Uh, but don't fall for the lies that God will make everything um, out the way you want it to, to come out if you have enough faith. Let me say it again. <laughs> don't think that just because you have enough faith, God will make everything come out the way you want it to come out. For example, if I have the faith to quit my job because I think I'm going to be a professional golfer, I would be putting something on God that he did not promise, right? And, the fo and following him means that we go beyond just doing obedient things, right? We become like him. We follow him. Our desires and plans for our day and our lives become his desires. Find his path for your day. Follow him by faith in the plans that you make and the way you go. Maybe you know that he has told you to go to someone to resolve a conflict or to share the good news. Maybe you know what he wants you to do and you've been afraid. Ask him to help you. Ask him to help you follow his lead and then plan to go with him. And then finally, in every circumstance, number four, thank him. This has really changed my walk with God, this, uh, this whole concept of making sure that that I'm thanking him for who he is. Uh, David's response to the knowledge of, that God personally made him was, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, that should be our response to seeing God and his personal work in our lives. Praise you, God. The reason we can give thanks in all circumstances, as he commands, is because no matter the circumstances, we have so much to be thankful for in God himself. And think about what giving thanks does to our hearts. When we give thanks to God for his power, for his wisdom, for his presence, for his love, his mercy, his patience, all his attributes, when we give thanks for who he is, we have to remind ourselves of that truth. And we do, when we do, 
and we give that thanks, what does he do? He gives us that peace that he, that he promises. When I'm afraid and I stop and give, give thanks, what am I giving thanks for? I thank him that he is my security in whatever I'm afraid of. He applies personally to those details of my day. When you don't know the future and you're afraid of that, thank him that not only does he know the future, he has a perfect plan for your future and he will never leave you or forsake you. Give thanks to God for who he is and what that means to you. So as we close, remember, God knows you completely. He's always with you and you can never leave him. He personally made you and has a plan for your life. So invite him to test and lead you in the eternal way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're not a God way out there, but you are a God right here and that you touch each of us every day, all the time, personally. Thank you for your thoughts to us, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your knowledge and understanding of us. And Father, help us to go from here today reminding ourselves of these truths that we might respond to life by faith. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.